Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Patreon.com slash the Derek Lamont Experience. Of course, I'm your host, Derek Lamont Jackson. Um, starting this thing off on a fine Sunday afternoon. Had a really, really good weekend. Um, got to spend some time with some friends from high school. Uh, it was the class reunion of the class that graduated the year after me. I graduated. Uh, I'm class of 2000. Unfortunately, 20 years would have been last year, and COVID was like, nah. So uh, we didn't have our reunion. But, you know, my cousin and some of my really close friends graduated the year after me, and they had their reunion. And, uh, you know, they were all in the park right around where we grew up. And uh, they were like, hey, come on, stop by. And it was really good to see a lot of old friends, man. Um, everybody's doing very well. Um, it's, it's cool to see everybody, you know, with kids, like we're all parents now and, um, generally just to be around each other. Um, we didn't really tell any old stories about high school or anything like that. We just enjoyed each other's company and laughed about things, certain things that haven't changed and things like that. Uh, but it's just really, really gnarly to see everybody kind of moving on in their own way. Um, actually two classmates, um, one who graduated the year after me and one who was a freshman when I graduated, they're married. That was really cool to see them together. And then like to find that some of your classmates have connected with people you've met later on in life. One of my classmates actually owned a business with someone I grew very close with at a former uh, employer. So that was really cool. So just the connections, like it's a huge world and there's billions and billions of people, but we're all connected through this thing we call life. It's like everything is one big game of six degrees of separation. So uh, that was really fun. Hung out with the family a little bit and, uh, you know, did a really big stream this morning, three hours. That's my longest stream to date. And here I am. I'm just back to talk to you guys and and um, start this series off. Of course, this is entitled as a four part series entitled this thing of ours this is america's infatuation with uh, the sicilian mafia it's a four-piece series again if you're listening to this on patreon you do have to subscribe at the diamond tier to get these episodes um they will go to the free feeds it'll be a month or two later though so if you want to hear them um as they are produced then you need to subscribe to our diamond tier the first episode i'm going to kick it off with what some believe to be one of the greatest films of all time um the godfather um, not only one of my favorite films, actually one of my favorite books as well. It was written by Mario Puzo in 1969. Um, Paramount Pictures obtained the rights to the novel for $80,000 upon its release. It was the highest grossing film of 1972 when it was released. Uh, this is basically America's first true look into Cosa Nostra. Um, everything about the film basically romanticizes the mafia with the exception of the murders, but even that way people kind of, um, Actually, people kind of romanticize those as well. Um, you know, Sonny being killed at the toll booth and then Don Vito rising from his bed after Sonny was, Sonny was killed and going to uh, the funeral parlor and saying, look at how they massacred my boy and things like that. Jeez, um, I didn't see The Godfather till I was at least, boy, 22 i think 22 i saw the film and then i actually read the book afterwards i saw the first two films everybody kept saying you don't need to see the third one stay away from it i'm like but i watched the first two so i have to and then i watched the third one i'm like okay yeah and i've only watched it a handful of times but i've watched the first and second one multiple times since then um again uh highest grossing film of 1972 uh the the rights were acquired for the novel uh eighty thousand dollars uh, that year for Oscars, it won, um, 
Best Picture, Best Actor, Marlon Brando, Best Adapted Screenplay for uh, Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. In addition, the seven Oscar nominations included Pacino, Khan, and Duvall for Best Supporting Actor, Coppola for Best Director. Since its release, The Godfather has been widely regarded as one of the greatest and most influential films ever made. I can definitely attest to that, especially in the gangster genre. It was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry of the Library of Congress in 1990, being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, and is ranked the second greatest film in American cinema behind Citizen Kane, which I've still never seen, so I'm going to actually watch that soon, and that's by the American Film Institute. Again, it was followed by the sequels The Godfather Part Two in 1974 and The Godfather Part Three in 1990. Um, if they were going to do a third one, I think they should have done it right around 76 or... 80 or something like that somewhere they waited too long 1990 it was kind of cool to see the characters with gray hair and things like that but at the same time it just didn't hit the same um and it was really a shitty plot i'm going to be completely honest with you um so you know um i don't the plot was i, I just of all the things they could have done and taken the story in my opinion, there were other avenues that they could have visited, and I just don't feel like the plot of The Godfather 3 deemed it necessary. I think that you could have left the story alone after The Godfather Part 2. There is um, an HBO um, kind of thing where they did The Godfather 1, I think, I don't know what they called it. The Godfather 3 just kind of got some edits and they took out some unnecessary stuff. It's called The Godfather Coda. That's available on Peacock, by the way, if you want to watch that. Uh, I watched like the first 20 minutes of it and they shift some scenes and things like that. Um, but again, it's still, it, it just doesn't, I don't know. Um, it doesn't, it just didn't come off the way it should have um as much as they tried to edit it it's still a really really shitty story and that's where the main problem is now the godfather part two i will uh cover in another episode it's actually gonna be the episode after this um there is an hbo supercut that combines the godfather and the godfather 2 and it puts them in chronological order because 2 is a sequel and prequel at the same time um i've never seen it to be completely honest with you um I'm dying to see it. It used to be on HBO, but it's not there. Um, check HBO Max. It's not there either. And then actually back when it was released on television in the late 70s and 80s, they actually edited them together as well uh, and called it The Godfather, a novel for television. I've never seen that. Of course, they omitted a lot of things because it was aired on television. And if you're thinking about like the way TV is now, which is different because everything is basically on demand and we stream a lot of things. Back then, you know, you couldn't say there was a time where you couldn't flush a, to a toilet on television. It was viewed as rude and crude and things like that. Um, and I remember you couldn't simulate, you know, during shows like I Love Lucy and things like that. There is a time where Lucy and Ricky slept in separate beds. And then eventually they had one bed in the bedroom, but there was a time where Lucy had a bed and Ricky had a bed and things like that. And you see things progress. And then I remember there was a point where they started like saying bitch on local television and, you know, sitcoms and dramas and things like that. And TV has changed a lot. But obviously when these uh, when they did this supercut and edited for TV, I would imagine they had to take a lot of the stuff out. I remember New Year's Eve um probably like 03 or 04 they aired the godfather and the godfather 2 back to back on television and i watched it even though it was edited and had commercials but i still watched it 
So anyway, the principal characters, I'm going to go over that really quickly, of the film. Uh, Don Vito Corleone is played by Marlon Brando. Santino Sonny Corleone is played by James Caan. He's the eldest son of Vito and Carmela Corleone. Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, who's the youngest son. Tom Hagen uh, is played by Robert Duvall. Tom Hagen is basically an adopted son. Uh, Kay Adams, played by Diane Keaton. Uh, she would later become, she was Michael's girlfriend as the film and book started, and later on she would become his wife, but he actually was married in between that. Um, then Costanza Connie Corleone, played by Talia Shire, who's actually Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Uh, she plays the youngest of the uh, Corleone children, and um, she, of course, is played by Talia Shire. Now, the funny thing about this, everybody in the film outside of Marlon Brando was basically an unknown. Nobody knew who James Conn was. This probably put him on the map. Al Pacino, very young, would obviously go on to play Scarface and a bunch of other roles. He uh, plays Coach Tony D'Amato in uh, Any Given Sunday, which is one of my favorite films. But nobody knew who he was when he auditioned for this. Um, Tom Hagen, played by Robert Duvall, again, pretty much unknown. Diane Keaton, pretty much unknown as well. And then Talia Shire would go on to play Adrian in the Rocky films. So this is like they all did a great job in this film. But talk about a cast. Like, if you're going to talk about a cast, we're, you assemble these principal members and, and things like that. And sometimes they go on to be good. And sometimes you have one or two who go on to be good. When you look at a film that can boast a cast like this, because they all went on to be huge. Marlon Brando was already big, but he had kind of fallen off. And this film actually kind of re-energized his film career. Um but when you think about this, again, James Caan, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, this is a fucking phenomenal cast, and it shows and it all comes out in the acting. They all play their parts very, very well. The one difference is like the way that Michael is described in the book versus how Al Pacino looks, or the way that Sonny's actually described in the book versus how uh, James Caan looks and things like that. It's very interesting. Um... Again, Brando was the only actor of any substance at this point. Pacino, Duvall, Khan, Shire, and Keaton were all unknown at the time. For Brando, the film revitalized his career. He went on to play Jarrell, the father of Kal-El, on Krypton. If you don't know what I'm talking about, obviously, Jarrell is Superman's father on Krypton, not his America, his earthly American father. Uh, his name was Kal-El. Um, he's the last surviving son of Krypton because it blew up, and they sent him to Earth because Jarrell knew the planet was going to blow. Uh, for his work in Superman, he was paid $3.7 million for 13 days of work and was also given a portion of the film's receipts. He actually felt he was cheated on a percentage, which led to him suing the Salkins for $50 million, which led to his footage not being used in Richard Lester's version of Superman 2. Lester was actually brought on after Richard Donner was, uh, fired. I think they went over budget. I can't remember exactly what happened. Uh, but Richard, they were shooting Superman and Superman 2 simultaneously. Richard Lester was brought on to finish Superman 2. And then I think like back in 06, they released the Richard Donner cut and Marlon Brando of Superman 2. Marlon Brando is in that. Um, the story itself is basically, it's pretty loosely adapted from the story of the three king and his, uh, I'm sorry, the, the king and his three sons. Um, I don't remember if the king had a daughter in that story. So I don't know how it, how you account for Connie Corleone, but um, again, great book. Um, it's one of those books where I, I start to read it and I can't put it down. And great film as well. Um, as far as personalities go, the Don was old and wise, a family man, but very cunning. Um, 
very generous, known as a great businessman and a great friend. Uh, Santino, a.k.a. Sonny, very hot-headed ladies' man, but always out for blood. For Sonny, it was always personal. There's even the famous scene after Don Vito gets shot, and I'll go into all that a little later, where Tom says, you know, the sh even the shooting of your father was business. It wasn't personal. And Sonny's like, they shot my father, and you're going to tell me it's not personal. And he's like, you know, for Sonny, it's like, it's not the same. You're not his real kid. And Tom took umbrage to that, and he's like, I'm as much a, you know, a son to him as you or Mike. Um, and then actually... Fredo, very meek. Fredo is the middle child. Uh, meek, viewed as weak, not too intelligent. Uh, Michael, most like his father, but wanted to be the absolute opposite. Very wise, very proud. Michael was a war hero. He fought in World War II. And there's some very interesting things with that story. And actually the editing. And again, I'll get into that when I cover The Godfather Part Two. In The Godfather, the five families are the Corleone family, the Italia family, Barzini, Cuneo, and Stracchi. Stracchi sorry. Uh, they are basically supposed to be molded after the real five families of New York, which are the Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and the Lucchese crime families. Uh, these, were really, these were real crime families in New York. Um, it's, the mafia is a bit different now, and I don't want to go too deep into this. And again, I don't want to like you know, made men or, or anything like that to come after me. I, people don't understand the mafia is still very much a thing. It's just strange that you can turn on YouTube and watch Michael Franchese uh, interviews. I, I hope I'm, or is it Franchese? I can't, I don't know the pronunciation, so I apologize. Um, but the first code of uh, Koshinosha, a.k.a. this thing of ours, is omerta, which uh, the Italian translate English translation for omerta is silence. It's the act of silence. You know, um, it wasn't when they came up with this back in the old country. It wasn't wasn't meant to be a syndicate or anything of that. It was this thing of ours to protect ours and our own and things like that. And basically, the thought is that you know, if you if you're in the U.S. and um, you know, Italians stuck together, Irish stuck together, African Americans obviously had to stick together because we were outcasts, uh, Native Americans, indigenous people tried to stick together as well. You're supposed to protect your own, where now we live in a world where it's basically a free-for-all. Um, you know, Jewish Americans stick together, Every Asian Americans, usually everybody sticks together, it's usually a community type of thing. Well, here we are 2021, the world is so much different, um... There are fewer people who are of, I guess, what you would call pure blood, meaning the same race, because there's been so much of people dating and, and having relations with people of other races and things like that. The world is not just black and white and what they would used to call Asian people yellow. And again, I apologize. These are the terms that they were using. I'm just saying these things. I'm not the type of person that's like, yo, Look at the cracker over there. Look at the, the chink over there. Anything like that. They're all derogatory terms. Um, and it's best that we don't use them at all. So I'm not going to use them in, in when I talk about these things or anything like that. But um, you let's say you owned a deli in Little Italy or something like that. And you had people who, you know, let's say Caucasians, right, who come in and, and try to push you around and threaten you. Then you have your own guys you know, this thing of ours, they're there to protect you. So when they pay to, they, they pay to those guys, it's paying protection. And uh, you become part of a crew, which becomes part of a family. And there's a whole ceremony to get made. Um, 
the way it's explained in Goodfellas is they have to trace your relatives all the way back to the old country. You can't have any outside blood within you and things like that to be made. Apparently, it's a lot looser these days, but also at the same time, it's crazy that we even knew that there, this, this was a thing and that there was a process. The reason we know about that, um, Mr. Henry Hill, who's famously played by Ray Liotta in the film Goodfellas. Uh, Goodfellas was adapted from the book Wise Guy by Nicholas Pileggi, who actually sat down with Henry Hill. Uh, I'm actually going to cover everything about Goodfellas in our third episode. So it'll be this one, The Godfather, The Godfather 2, Goodfellas. And then the fourth episode will cover one of my favorite television shows of all time and often cited as the greatest television show of all time, The Sopranos. So we'll get into all that stuff later. Um, Some facts about The Godfather. Don Vito Corleone was inspired by real-life mob boss Frank Costello. Corleone has similarities to several real-life mobsters, including Joe Profaci, who used his olive oil distributorship. I've been so tongue-tied lately, and it's only when I'm on the mic. It doesn't happen when I'm having normal conversations, so I apologize. Uh, Used his olive oil distributorship as a front for his illegal activities, and Carlo Gambino, who used a quiet, non-flashy style and route to power. Don Vito, you know, that's why I say Michael's the most like him. Fredo got out to Vegas, very flashy having sex with multiple showgirls at at the same time and things like that. Michael was very much like his father, very quiet, very reserved. Um, However, Corleone Corleone mostly uh, closely resembles Frank Costello, known as the prime minister of the mafia. Costello preferred to draw little attention to himself and the mob, choosing reason over violence whenever possible and using diplomacy and his extensive connections in politics and business to maintain power. In fact, Marlon Brando even based Corleone's soft, raspy voice on Costello's after he listened to the tapes of Costello testifying to the Cavaver Committee on Organized Crime. So that's really interesting. Um, Second fact, casino mogul Mo Green's life and death mimics real-life mobster Bugsy Siegel. I don't know too much about Bugsy Siegel. uh, Siegel, I'm sorry. Uh, Obviously, Benny Siegel, the rapper, took part of his name from Bugsy Siegel. Um, I did see the movie... Bugsy, it starred, um, Jesus Christ, what is his name? I can't think of his name now. He was in Dick Tracy. He played Dick Tracy. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. And I think Annette Benning might have been in the film. I can't remember or not, but, uh, Bugsy, <clears throat> excuse me, Bugsy Siegel is actually the guy that came up with the idea for Las Vegas. And the Godfather, Mo Green, is credited with putting Las Vegas on the map. In reality, it was Jewish mobster Benjamin Bugsy Siegel who built the Flamingo, now the oldest resort on the Las Vegas Strip. Like Green, who was memorably shot in the eye for betraying the Corleone family, Siegel was shot in the head after he allegedly stole money from the mob to build his casino. And just as the Corleones took over Green's gambling business, the day after Siegel was killed, the mob walked into the Flamingo and took over operations. Um, Whenever somebody, there's a scene in The Sopranos where they talk about somebody getting shot in the eye and they call it the Mo Green special. Um, There's a point at the end of The Godfather where, quote unquote, all family business is settled. Uh, the murder of Mo Green is one of those, you know, things that's actually settled and he's on the table getting a massage and looks up and puts on his glasses or he might have already had his glasses on, but he had shot right through the lens of one of the eyes. I can't remember, but it's like really, um, it's a horrific fucking way to die. <laughs> Let's be completely, completely honest about it. Um, murder obviously is a hor- horrific way to die. You know, if I had my way and if this world was perfect, we would all die of natural causes surrounded by our family, but that's just not... Um, it's not exactly possible. This is the world we live in and violence is a thing. So unfortunate for, uh, Bugsy Siegel to go out that way and unfortunate for the character of Mo Green. But remember, this is a fictitious, 
um, act. And so Mo Green, obviously not a real person, but Benjamin Bugsy Siegel was. And unfortunately, he ultimately ultimately met his demise at the hands of the uh, mafia. Um, number three, Michael Corleone's restaurant hit is similar to one of the most important hits in mob history. In The Godfather, after meeting two of his father's enemies in a restaurant to settle their dispute, Michael takes them out by shooting them with a gun he had planted in the bathroom. In 1931, mafioso Charles Lucky Luciano met his boss, Joe Masseria, at an Italian restaurant. When he excused himself to go to the bathroom, hitmen barged into the eatery, shot Masseria more than 20 times, and left. Um, Lucky Luciano, another one of those guys, um, he comes from the era, if you ever, um, Bumpy Johnson um bumpy johnson albert anastasia those guys are all from that era um al capone also um in the film american gangster denzel washington obviously portrays frank lucas frank lucas apparently worked under bumpy johnson who was basically the godfather of harlem so if you're more interested in that you should definitely check out the film hoodlum you should watch american gangster and the godfather of harlem starring um Forrest Whitaker, he plays Bumpy Johnson. I've heard it's really good. It's on Epic, I think. I haven't seen it because I don't have a cable subscription to Epic, but I've heard great things about that show. So eventually I am going to sit down and watch that. Um, Jeez, I lost myself. Where was I going with that? Um, Oh, Lucky Luciano. Yeah, he... um, He... Very prominent role he plays um, in Hoodlum. He and... um, Bumpy Johnson had somewhat of a relationship, a working relationship. I wouldn't say that they were best friends or anything like that, but they had a working relationship. And also there was Dutch Schultz, who was a part of that as well. Albert Anastasia, who I mentioned as well, another Jewish uh, mafioso member. Albert Anastasia is basically known for, um, I want to say he created Murder, Inc. And I'm not talking Murder, Inc. records, Irv Gotti, Ja Rule, Shanti, any of them. But where they got their name, Murder, Inc. was a Jewish band of assassins for hire. Uh, and I believe Albert Anastasia was the head of that. So that's where that whole moniker comes from. Number four, mobsters flee to Italy when getting, uh, the going gets rough. Um, this apparently is a real thing. Now, in The Sopranos, they actually have some characters come from Italy to help out. Furio uh, is the first one that comes to mind. Actually, Furio is the only one, but... Uh, Furio goes home because he's fallen in love with Carmela, and again, I'll discuss this more during my Sopranos episode, and there were things that followed and things like that, but it's okay. But anyway, in the film, in The Godfather, uh, after the hit at the restaurant, Mark Michael Corleone flees to Sicily, where he falls in love with and marries Apollonia Vitelli. Real mob boss Vito Genovese uh, also ran off to Italy in order to escape the consequences of one of his murders and only returned to the U.S. after charges were dropped. After being deported, Lucky Luciano moved to Italy as well, and while he never returned to the U.S., he continued to pull mafia strings from abroad. While in Italy, Luciano fell in love with a woman 20 years his junior. Whether they ever officially got married or not has never been confirmed, but it is known that he stayed with her for 11 years until his death in 1959. Um, Yeah, Michael flees to Italy after killing Salazzo, uh, a.k.a. the Turk, and killing Captain McCluskey, the police chief who was on uh, Salazzo's payroll. Uh, the reason for this, um, I'm going to go into all that in a second. This is all very important to the plot, so I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, but it has a lot to do with the Don and things like that. Uh, number five, the Mafia harassed the Godfather's execs Corleone style to shut down production. Perhaps the most blatant intersection of fact and fiction came when mob boss Joe Colombo and the New York Mafia rallied against 
uh, the making of The Godfather. Some say it was because the mobsters were tired of seeing Italian-Americans cast in a bad light on film. Others say it was because the mob didn't want to deal with the Hollywood spotlight. Regardless, the mob started harassing the production team. Producer Al Ruddy's car was followed and broken into, and an expensive uh, equipment was stolen as well. The final straw came when Paramount executive Robert Evans received a phone call at his home threatening his wife and newborn son. Al Ruddy called a meeting with Columbo himself to dis- discuss terms, and Columbo said he would back off if the word mafia was struck from the strip. From the script, I'm sorry. Easy to do since the word only appeared in it once. Um, this is something I never really thought about. I can't really think about how many times. They clearly say it only happens once that they actually say mafia in the film, and I'm having a hard time um, remembering that. I do know in The Godfather 3... Kay says to Michael, I liked you better when you were a uh, common mafia hood. So it does get said in part three. I'm trying to think where it gets said in the original one. And for the life of me, I really can't think about it. But I don't know. No biggie. Um, But again, that's crazy. Like, you know, (laughs) here I I just, you know, it's like, okay, um, don't say this word. Don't make us look like this. Don't make us look like that. If you do, there will be consequences. And clearly, they meant business. Um, but it's cool that they were able to sit down and, and talk things out. And nobody was hurt. But somebody threatening your wife and your newborn son, that's unacceptable as well. So, I mean, here we are. Um, so, directly from the Wikipedia page, The Godfather, again, is a 1972 American crime film directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, interesting fact, Nicolas Cage is actually actually a Coppola. He changed the last name because he didn't want to trade on his family's name in the business because that's a hell of a name to come under. Uh, Coppola co-wrote the screenplay with Mario Puzo based on Puzo's best-selling 1969 novel of the same name. The film stars Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Richard Castellano, Robert Duvall, Sterling Hayden, John Marley. Richard Conti, Diane Keaton, in the first installment of the Godfather trilogy, the story spanning from 1945 to 1955 chronicles the Corleone family under patriarch Vito Corleone, again played by the effervescent Marlon Brando. Focusing on the transformation of his youngest son, Michael Corleone, from reluctant family outsider to ruthless mafia boss, Paramount Pictures obtained the rights to the novel again for the price of $80,000 before it gained popularity. Studio executives had trouble finding a director. The first few candidates turned down the position before Coppola signed on to direct the film, but disagreement followed over casting several characters, in particular Vito and Michael. Filming took place primarily on location around New York City and in Sicily and was completed ahead of schedule. The musical score was uh, composed primarily by Nina Rota, with additional pieces by Carmine Coppola. The Godfather premiered at the Lowe's State Theater on March 14, 1972, was widely released in the United States on March 24, 1972. Again, it was the highest-grossing film of 1972, and was for the long and was for the time the highest-grossing film ever made. Got tongue-tied there. I apologize. Earning between 246 and 287 million at the box office, the film received universal acclaim from critics and audiences, with praise for the performances, particularly those of Brando and Pacino. The directing, screenplay, cinematography, editing, score, and portrayal of the mafia. Oops, there goes that word again. The Godfather acted as a catalyst for the successful careers of Coppola, Pacino, and other relative newcomers in the cast and crew. Additionally, the film revitalized Brando's career, which had declined in the 1960s, and he went on to star in films such as Last Tango in Paris, Superman, and Apocalypse Now. I've never seen Last Tango in Paris or Apocalypse Now. I have a Superman tattoo on my arm, so of course you know I've seen that. At the 45th Academy Awards, again, the film won uh, Oscars for Best Picture. Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay. 
Um, again, like I said, it's widely regarded as one of the greatest and most influential films ever made. So the wedding picks, I'm sorry, the film picks up in, 19, in 1945 at the wedding of Connie Corleone. And it's amazing to me that it's like, this was a time when things really happened. I was born in 1982 and it sounds weird to be like, yeah, it's weird that shit happened before I was here. I know that sounds really strange. I'm just saying, going back and watching historical films and period films and things like that, um, number one, they're extremely expensive because you have to recreate this era and you have to have these vehicles and the clothing and things like that. I myself am producing an independent film. We're actually, it's, we just locked the picture in, so it's coming very soon. I want you guys to stay tuned, stay focused. Excuse me, but the film takes place in the 70s, so, um, the wardrobe and things like that, very expensive. Finding, you know, cars from the 70s not exactly easy and things like that running cars in good running condition from the 70s that's another thing so you know it's very expensive to make these period piece films anyway in 1945 new york city at his daughter connie's wedding to carlo vito corleone the don of the corleone crime family listens to requests apparently there's this thing no sicilian can refuse a request on the day of his daughter's wedding i don't know how true this is i'll have to actually look into that i guess i should have before i started recording and i apologize but yeah, I don't know if this is a true thing or not, but um, all these people basically descend on this wedding because um, they need help from Don Corleone and they know that at, because it's, it's, it's his daughter's wedding, he cannot refuse any requests, which is a crazy thing. He does refuse one request, but he helps the person out. Um, and that is the funeral parlor director because his daughter has been badly uh, beaten and bruised by some guy she went on a date with um so anyway his youngest son michael who was a marine during world war ii introduces his girlfriend Kay adams to his family at the reception uh Kay's a nice comes from a nice family uh church going girl i think I, if i'm not mistaken her parents are intellectuals they may even work in the education field i don't know that Kay is actually a teacher um Johnny Fontaine, who is actually the character of Johnny Fontaine, is actually um, based on Frank Sinatra. Um, even the story with Luca Brazzi, Michael tells Kay, um, you know, Johnny Fontaine shows up. And Kay's like, wow, you didn't tell me you knew Johnny Fontaine. And Michael's like, yeah, you know, he's my father's godson and he helped him out in his career. And Kay's like, how? And he's like, no, 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 listen to the song. Kay's like, no, Michael, what the fuck? Tell me. I want to know. Like, this is important shit. So the story goes, well, when Johnny first started out, he signed a contract to this band leader and what we would know as today as a production deal where you basically sign to somebody and they pretty much own your rights and you think that you may have signed to a label, but you signed a production deal instead. You basically have no rights. You make meager money off of, um, you know, your performances and things like that while somebody else is, you know, getting big dividends. Um, so... Johnny started doing better for himself. He starts getting known and he wants out of the contract. And the band leader's like, nah. And Johnny's like, but come on, man. The band leader's like, no. And Johnny's really flummoxed. Like, how the fuck do I get out of this? So Johnny goes to see his godfather. Uh, again, Don Vito is Johnny's godfather, which is a very, very important relationship uh, with Italians. So... Don Vito goes to the guy and tries to get him to release Johnny from the contract. And he's like, no. I think it was like a $5,000 cashier's check he took with him. 
and or it may have been less the, the number i can't remember the exact number you know he offered to pay the remaining balance on the contract and the band leader's like no so i guess a day later don vito returned with a cashier's check for less money and luca brazzi and k and he she's like the band leader accepted and k's like how why how did he get him to take less money and k's like tell me michael he's like my father made him offer he couldn't refuse and michael's very apprehensive as he's telling the story like this is the genius of al pacino and this is why he's one of the greatest we've ever had the way he embodied michael corleone like thinking about the scene right now i can see his facial expressions and like how he played around around with his glass that he was drinking it may have been may have been like whiskey or something like that he's playing with his glass he's not looking k in the eyes looking down he's definitely embarrassed k's like how do you get him to take less money he's like my father went with luca brazzi and luca brazzi held a gun to his head and my father assured him either his name his signature or his brains would be on the contract and then k looking astonished and mike michael just like that's a true story this and says to her that's my family k that's not me now imagine dating somebody and they tell you yeah so my family they threaten to murder people and do shit like that all the time no biggie do you want to marry me like that's crazy um so johnny then his career took off he's doing well he kind of forgot about the neighborhood kind of forgot about his family and things like that and don vito was very very upset but he still welcomes into into his home and he's, you know, trying to get help securing a movie role that would basically revitalize his career. Now, the interesting thing about this is like how art imitates life because the Godfather revitalized Marlon Brando's career. And in the same situation, Johnny Fontaine needs his career revitalized. So that's really, really cool to me. Art imitates life. Um, so the Don tells him like Fontaine starts crying. The guy wouldn't give him the role because basically there was this girl who frank waltz who's the head of the studio um was a pervert we find that out in the book they don't tell you they don't tell you that in the movie however if you have the blu-ray and the extended scenes you see a point where a young girl goes crying out of the house with her mother basically the girl was i don't know anywhere from like 12 to 16 something like that she's young she's a minor for sure and um you you having dinner with the studio head right you promised you know wealth and riches and things like that now keep in mind like i said her mother accompanied her her mother accompanied her to the house so mr waltz could sleep with her with this underage girl her mother basically sold her out for fame and fortune because being with waltz being signed to a contract it meant she was going to be in movies she may have recorded music and things like that the family saw dollar signs so much to the point that they were willing to sell their own daughter out so waltz was a pervert so a lot of people feel bad for Waltz, but it's like you have to read the book or see the extra scenes in the Blu-ray to know that the Don was right in what he did. And I'll get to that in a moment. So, um, you know, he helps out Enzo the baker and then Enzo shows up. Um, actually, Enzo's son-in-law shows up a little, probably about 10, 15 minutes later in the film. And um, actually the son-in-law shows up in the godfather 3 as well uh he makes a cake for michael and things like that but anyway don vito sends hagen out to california to clear up this business for johnny um waltz refuses and he invites you know he tells tom to get the hell out of here he's like 
I don't care how many Goomba, Goomba, Guinea, Wops that Johnny Fontaine runs in here. And those are all derogatory terms towards Italian-Americans. And um, Hagen's like, I enjoy your pictures very much. Thank you. And walks away. Very calm. Exactly how the Don would have wanted him to do it. So then later on, uh, well, actually, as Hagen leaves, Waltz is like, follow him. Tells somebody to follow him. Puts a guy on him. Waltz finds out that Hagen represents Don Corleone. So then next thing you know, we see Hagen at Waltz's house. And he's like, why didn't you tell me you was you represented Corleone, Tom? He's like, well, he doesn't like me to use his name, you know, only in matters of business. He shows him around his house, beautiful home, uh, like the the statues and things like that were used to decorate the palaces of the kings. He had them imported to California. The guy's making dough hand over fist. It's all the movie magnets did in that time. You know, your Metro Golden Mares, the Warner Brothers, Walt Disney, those guys, all very wealthy. Anybody, you know, their their descendants probably today very very freaking wealthy. So they're having dinner. And uh, he's like, you know, the the godson, um, the relationship between a godfather and godson is very Ita- important Italian-American. And, you know, Mr. Corleone would like it very much if you gave Johnny the role in this new film. He's like, he can ask me anything else. He's not getting it. And then we find out why. And he's like, yeah, there was this girl and she was the best piece of ass. And he's like, I've had had him all over the world, but she was the best piece of ass I ever had. And then Johnny Fontaine comes in with his guinea charm. His olive oil voice and his guinea charm. And she left me to run off with him. And it made me look like a fool. And a man in my particular, uh, a man of my stature cannot be made to look like a fool. So basically it was a pissing contest over a woman. And what do they say? Most wars start over financials or women. That's what they've always said. Like when, to be completely honest with you, wars have been started over money and vagina. That's just the way it's always been. So, you know, Hagen uh, stays very calm. And then Waltz is like, you get the hell out of here. It's like, bro, you're, flip- you're flipping and you're flopping. Now, when he was showing him around the house, he showed him to the stables where he had a rush ho- uh, Russian racehorse. That was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was like the prize of the stables. You know, he's like, I'm not going to race him. I'm going to put him out to stud. Basically, he was just going to use the horse to breed so he could have other race horses and things like that. So, Hagen's like, all right, whatever. I'm out of here. Peace out. Don dispatches some men and they cut off the horse's head and uh, they put it in Waltz's bed and he wakes up to a dead horse head in his bed and a lot of people are like that's fucking terrible it's like remember this guy's a creep he's like sleeping with underage you know children and things like that so it's not that bad but again you have to read the book or see the uh the extended scenes in the godfather blu-ray now there's also the godfather video game it was out for the xbox 360 playstation 3 nintendo wii great fucking game love that game um, in the game, you actually have to go to the stable, cut the horse's head off, and then creep through Waltz's house and plant the horse head in the bed. And you have to do it all without, like, tripping alarms and stuff like that. It's really hard. But, like, once I finally got past that part, I was like, Jesus Christ, thank God. The game is really cool. It's really, really fun. There's another part that kind of takes place at the end of the film that's really hard, and I never got to finish the game because of it, but I'll get into that later. So, um, after this... Right before Christmas, Salazzo, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he's backed by the Italian the Italia crime family. He asked Vito for an investment in his narcotics business. It was heroin. 
and protection through his political uh, connections in case he got him or his people got caught selling drugs that, you know, upon the arrest, Don Vito could pull some strings to get him out and get him away from facing any, you know, prison terms. Um, Don Vito was like, hey, you're a nice guy, but drugs are a very dangerous business. I cannot get involved. Uh, it would risk, you know, alienating his political connections and, um, drugs are just a dangerous business. Anything that alters the mind, like people will kill to get that next high, literally, because your body becomes dependent on the drug to the point where you don't know what you'll do to get that high. Unfortunately, I've had some people that I've known very, very closely, even relatives who were addicted to narcotics and things like that. And it absolutely tears your life apart. And um, so I can see Don Corleone being like, no, we're not going to do this. It was gambling, um, bootlegging, racketeering and things like that. That's how, that's how he made his business. But if he had gotten involved in the drug trade, then things could have really went south. So he declines the invitation and declines uh, Salazzo's business to the point where, you know, Salazzo had to go ahead with business and he had to get the Corleone family out the way. So at this point, um, well, Don Vito knew something was going to happen. He sends Luca Brazzi to spy on the Tattaglia family because they're backing Salazzo. Uh, they kill Luca Brazzi during the meeting, which is really unfortunate, and Salazzo kidnaps Hagen. At this point, Vito's leaving his office. Um, what is the guy's name? I cannot think of his freaking name. He was Don Vito's driver. And, um, God, what is that kid's name? Polly. Polly Gatto. That's who it was. Uh, he sent, you know, Polygato called out sick because he was, you know, it was the winter. He's not feeling well. In all actuality, Polygato was paid off by the Tatalias to not be there because he was basically the Don's bodyguard. So Hagen gets kidnapped. Luca Brati gets killed. You have to take down the Don at this point. Now, the most interesting thing about the meeting between Salazzo and the Don is the Don said it was dangerous. And Salazzo countered with, if you're worried about your investment, the Tatalia family guarantees your money. And then Sonny interjected, you're telling me that the Tatalias will guarantee our money. And everybody in the room paused. Tom Hagen, uh, Salvatore Tessio, Peter Clemenza. Tessio and Clemenza are the Don's oldest friends in the United States of America, other than Jenko Abadondo, who was his consigliere before he passed away due to cancer. And then Tom was his consigliere after that. They knew that Santino had had made a grave, grave mistake. And the um, Don apologizes. You know, Senor Salazzo, I apologize. My children speak more than they should listen. Unfortunately, I spoiled them. He bids them adieu. Salazzo leaves. Santino, get over here now. Don't ever tell anybody outside the family what you're thinking. Everybody knew it was coming. They were like, Sonny's in trouble. Now, keep in mind. Sonny's not a kid. He's the Don's son. He's his oldest, but he's not a kid. Sonny has a wife and children of his own, and he's still getting chastised by his father. That lets you know how powerful Don Corleone was. So um, they all knew that Sonny had messed up, but for Tatalia, it tipped him off. So as Tatalia, I'm sorry, not Tatalia, Salazzo, as they're holding Tom Hagen hostage, he's like, Sonny was hot for my deal, wasn't he? And upon coming back from California after trying to negotiate with Waltz to get Johnny Fontaine in the picture, 
the Don sat down with Santino and Hagen and asked him about the situation with Salazzo. And the Don asked him what they thought. And Sonny said, there's a lot of money in that white powder. And then he turned to Tom. Tom, what do you think? He's like, well, drugs are the new wave. We already have political protection. We have racketeering. We have girls. We've got uh, everything else. But narcotics are the new wave. And if we don't get in one now at the ground level, ground level, I'm sorry, the other families will. And they'll be able to buy more political protection and things like that. Um, so Sonny and Hagen were 100% for it. The Don, you know, Sonny's like, so what's your answer going to be, Pop? And then the Don just sits there thinking. And then obviously he tells Salazzo, no. This is where the plot of the film really kicks off. Because the Don telling Salazzo, no led to the attempt on his life. Again, Poligato called out sick. The Tatalias were backing Poligato. They paid him to be out because he was the Don's driver and bodyguard. So if I get your bodyguard out the way, now you're an easy target. So Hagen's kidnapped. Luca Brazzi's killed. And the Don's coming out of his office at uh, Jinko Olive Oil. And he is shot in front of his car. Actually, he's picking out oranges from like a street vendor. And he kind of sees the hitman coming. Because they look him in the eyes and they start running towards him. As he turns to try to run away, they shoot him. They put five bullets in him and he still survived. Um, so the Don's in the hospital. Sonny, Tom Hagen. Mike, you know, Michael's walking down the street with Kay. They had just seen a film. And, you know, they're talking about Christmas shopping. Christmas is in the air. There's like carolers. And like there's a Salvation Army person on the street ringing the bell. And stuff like that. Um... And Michael and Kay are having a conversation as they walk past a little newsstand. Kay sees a newspaper and she's like, Michael, oh my God. And Michael's like, what? And she's like, you know, the conversation was, would you like me better if I look like Ingrid Bergman? And Michael's like, well, that's an idea. I, I guess Ingrid Bergman was a really attractive woman during this time. And Kay goes silent because she sees the newspaper. And Michael's like, no, I would not like you if you look more like Ingrid Bergman. She's like, no, Michael. And she walks him back to the newsstand and gives him the newspaper where he sees that his father's been shot. All of this because of him denying Salazzo, you know, his political backing and investment to go ahead with the narcotics trade, which would have been heroin. And if we're speaking in terms of reality, art imitates life. I would have to say this is probably the same heroin that basically funded the Harlem Renaissance and things like that. This goes back to American Gangster and hoodlum and things like that um heroin was the drug to do during the harlem renaissance langston hughes a lot of people like that um jazz musician musicians and things like that it was a trendy drug the way coke was a trendy drug in the 80s and things like that um but this drug trade is what kind of kicked started you know before it was alcohol and then there was prohibition and things like that I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm recording this live from St. Louis, Missouri. So I want to tell you guys, at the time, before Prohibition, St. Louis was probably considered the third largest city in the U.S. behind New York and Chicago. Maybe not third. It was within the top five. We had multiple breweries here in the St. Louis metro area. Because of Prohibition, none of them survived other than Anheuser-Busch because they sent bottled water and things to troops over in World War One. Um, a lot of the beer barons losing the money, they couldn't take it, so they took their own lives. Anheuser-Busch obviously survived. 
when Prohibition was lifted, they sent a case of beer using the Budweiser Clydesdales on a uh, horse and wagon from St. Louis all the way to the White House. Uh, Anheuser-Busch is a staple in St. Louis community. They're a staple of Cardinals baseball and things like that. It's a something that we as St. Louisans are very, very proud to have here in our city. But anyway, um, you see how Prohibition like ended, you know, bootlegging became big because people wanted to drink regardless um a lot of alcohol we got a lot of whiskey and things like that from canada during prohibition because of bootlegging if you ever seen the film untouchables with kevin costner a lot of it is about that it's about elliot ness versus al capone that's another film you guys should watch if you're interested in more stuff like this but for this era narcotics was going to be the next thing and um Don Vito Corleone did not want to get involved because he knew it was going to be a dangerous, dirty business. And unfortunately, because he didn't, the other families had to step in. Um, so Michael calls home after Kay shows in the newspaper. Sonny's like, come home. Mom's here. You know, dad's at the hospital, whatever, whatever. Uh, after Sonny gets off the phone with Michael, there's banging on his door. It's Clemenza, who's one of the capo regimes. Again, Clemenza and Salvatore Tessio were Don's oldest friends and they were his couple regimes um clemenza says there's word that your father's dead sonny nearly flips out like watch your mouth watch your mouth he goes send some people over here i want the house protected they lived on what was called the mall it was the corleone family compound where they had multiple houses there you know so like you walk out your door you walk right across this little area and you walk into your brother's house or your sister's house or something like that. Don Vito wanted to keep his family all there. And he started out very meek and meager. He started out with a small apartment in Little Italy in, a t in, in New York City. And then as he, you know, attained more wealth and things like that, he bought land and, you know, put his house there and then build another house there and so on and so forth. Eventually, all his family members lived in the houses right there on the Corleone, Corleone uh, compound. So anyway... Michael returns to the home. Um, they release Tom Hagen and they tell him, hey, these are the instructions. You need to talk to Sonny. We're going to get this deal done one way or another. Sonny sits down with the family, Michael, um, Clemenza, Tessio, Hagen. I don't think Fredo was in the room, if I remember. They're looking for Luca Brazzi. Unfortunately, they don't know that Brazzi's done. Pauly's there. Um, he, you know, Paulie's playing sick. He's like, "Oh yeah, I don't feel good." And Sonny's like, "Have some brandy, you know, drink some brandy. That'll, you'll sweat it all out." The door closes, <laughs> and Sonny directly looks at Clemenza and says, "I want you to take care of that first thing in the morning." You know, Paulie sold out the old man again. The Tatalia family paid Paulie to not go to work so that the Don would not have a bodyguard so that they could kill him. That was the whole thing behind it because the Don did not accept the drug deal. He was getting in the way of business. He was impeding progress for these other common criminals. So he had to go. Um, you know, they say hey, there's a package at the door. They bring it in. It's a bulletproof vest with a fish inside of it. And Sonny's like, what the hell is this? And they're all looking as Michael's trying to call Luca Brazzi. Tessio tells him it's a Sicilian message. Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. So. I don't know if anybody said Sleep with the Fishes before this film, but this is definitely the film that coined marked that, you know, that coined and trademarked that phrase. It's like when you when a guy gets killed, and especially if it's done by the mafia, the word is like, oh, he's like if somebody's like, hey, we're such and such. He's sleeping with the fishes. 
they killed him. He's in the bottom of a river somewhere, you know, or an ocean or whatever. You dumped the body. So, um, it was very, very interesting. This is, and this is probably one of the best scenes in the film, in my, in my belief. Um, from the point where Don Vito gets shot all the way up until Michael leaves to go to Sicily, I think is some of the most impactful stuff in the film, in my, in my, you know, um, opinion. Um, Don Vito survives. Michael goes to the hospital to see him. The police are gone. The guards are gone. They've hired, you know, like Michael's like, what the hell is going on? He, you know, he goes up to the room. He tells the nurse, he's asking the nurse, like, hey, you know, where are the guys that were hired to uh, to watch my father's room? And she's like, the police made them leave. There were just too many guys. Your father had too many visitors. It's against hospital rules. They've got to go. Like, you, anybody who's listening, you've been to the hospital, and we've all encountered that one nurse who's been on the shift a little bit too long. And she's like, this is bullshit, and I want to go home, and blah, 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 blah. That was her stance. She didn't know that there was a criminal element to the police having the men removed from the, moon, the room. Salazzo and the Tatalias had the police captain, McCluskey, on the payroll. So McCluskey removed all the guys from the room because they were going to make another attempt on Don Vito's life because they needed him gone because he was impeding business. He was impeding heroin trade in the United States, in New York City, and surrounding areas. Um, he had to go. That's what that was all about. So, you know, Michael stops the nurse. He's like, ma'am, listen one second. He calls the house. He's like, hey, Sonny, I'm up here. There's nobody guarding Pop's room. He's like, calm down. He's like, no, I'm calm. You get somebody up here. And she starts to leave. Michael's like, no, you stay right there. And he's like, he starts looking at the doorway and how how big, wide the bed is. He's like, okay, we're going to move my father into another room. And she's like, that is not going to happen. Michael's like, you know who my father is. Men are coming to kill him. Michael was always wise and always smart and wise beyond his years. That's why he 100% knew what was about to go down, even though the nurse was like, fam, we are not moving this bed. And Michael's like, you guessed fucking wrong. Yeah, the fuck we are. So they move him down. Michael's hearing footsteps. It turns out he's thinking somebody's coming to kill him. Or kill his father. He's looking through a window and he sees, you know, a guy in an overcoat with a hat. And he's like, who are you? What are you doing? He's like, I'm, you know, Enzo, the baker. He's like, what are you doing, Enzo? He's like, I, I come, you know, pay my respects to your father. Enzo is in this country. He's Italian, but he had fell in love with the baker's daughter. And the baker's daughter got pregnant and they were going to send him back to Italy. But the baker's like, my daughter's pregnant. She needs to marry this guy. And Don Vito made it possible. So Enzo's there to show his pay his respects. And here we are with this situation. He's like, I'm staying. Whatever's going down, I'm staying to help your father. And Michael's like, OK, get rid of these flowers. And he and the guy go stand outside at the front steps and he pops his collar up and he tells the guy to put his hand in his coat like he's got a gun in there. And somebody drives by, sure enough, it was the would-be assassins, and they see them there on the steps, and they figure, okay, we can't get him right now, there's somebody watching him. Next thing you know, the police roll around, Captain McCluskey, like, I thought I got rid of all you hoods, I got you guys all out of here. And he's like, what happened to the men that were hired to guard my father? He's like, I got all those guineas removed from here, and he's like, I'm not going, he's like, get the hell out of here, he's like, look, I'm not going anywhere until you put some men on my father's room. He's like, you trying to tell me how to do my job? McCleskey punches Mike, knocks him down, and uh, they're like, he's like, pick him up, he's going to hit him again, and one of the cops is like, come on, he's a war hero, what the hell are you doing, he's like, I said pick him up, next thing you know, Tom Hagen rolls up, bunch of cars, he's like, these men are 
um, professionals. They're hired to, uh, to protect Vito Corleone. Anybody who interferes will have to show a probable cause in front of a judge tomorrow morning. And McCluskey's like, okay, so this is out of my range because if you know, the Corleones have political protection. That's why they are so powerful within the five families in New York. They were the most powerful family. In order to, to for them to lose power, you had to take out Don Corleone because then you lose the political protection and things like that. This is why that's all. It's very very important to the plot and things like that. Um. Michael's got a broken jaw. They return back to the the Corleone compound in the morning. Um, Captain McCluskey is Salazzo's bodyguard. Sonny's really pissed off after he hears what happens to Michael. He orders a hit on Bruno Tattaglia's son. They've taken so okay. So the Don's been shot. Bruno Tattaglia's kid's been killed. Luca Brazzi's been killed. It's just a murder scene. So sitting down again. They get to the house. There's a bunch of bodyguards there. And Clemenza's like, what's, what's with all the new faces? And Tessio's like, we're going to need them um, after what happened. And he's like, well, what happened? He's like, well, after the hospital thing, Sonny got hot. We took out Bruno Tattaglia this morning. And Clemenza's like, Jesus Christ. So now we're back at war. And the last war before this, I think they said, was like 10 years before this. And this is a very, very dangerous time. So on the inside, um, you know, Sonny's super happy because they took out Tatalia. Tom's like, look, we should, you know, they called. What they say? And Sonny's like, they want us to send Michael to hear the new deal. And it's supposed to be so sweet we can't pass it up. And Hagen's like, okay, should we, sh- we should listen. And Sonny's like, no, they give me Salazzo. And he's like, Sonny, it's going to start a war. We're not having this. He's like, the other families won't sit still. He's like, then tell the other families to hand me Salazzo. Either that or it's all out war. And, you know, Tom's like, the other families won't sit still for a war. It was business. And, you know, he's like, even the shooting of your father was business, not personal. You're making it very personal, Sonny. Sonny's like, they shot my father. You're telling me it's not personal? And he's like, I don't need any more, you know, you know, advice or anything. Tom just helped me win. Sonny was a hothead, point blank, at all times. And he just wanted all out war. And... You know, he's like, either they give me Salazzo or it's war and we go to the mattresses. And when that term is used, basically you find a place, an empty place, and you put a bunch of mattresses and things like that in there. You have a bunch of guys there and they eat and sleep there with guns and things like that. It's all out war all over the city. Um, so Michael tells him, look, let me go to the meeting. And I'll take out Salazzo and Captain McCluskey. And they're all laughing like, what, you're crazy. You didn't want to get involved in the family business. You know, nice college boy. Now you want to kill a cop and, and a drug lord. Like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I can do it, Sonny. No big deal. You know, I was in I was in the war. And Sonny's like, you think this is like the war where you shoot him from 50 feet away? He's like, no, you get up right in front of them, see the whites in their eyes, and boom, you blow their brains out all over your nice Ivy League suit. He's like, you know, you're taking this personal, Mikey. He's like, Tom. This is business, and this man's taking it personal, and they're all laughing, and Michael's very upset. He's like, I'm not a little kid. You know, let me do this. So they try to find out where, you know, they're like, okay, we'll go. You go to this meeting. We'll figure it out. We got to find out where it is. And um, Sonny has a guy on the inside of the police force, so he tells them this is where the meeting's going to be. This is where McCluskey is signed out between these hours so they know where it is. So the plan is then that they plant a gun there in the bathroom. This goes back to the facts that I talked about earlier where the Michael Corleone hit was basically taken from real life. So uh, Clemenza tells, uh, Tessio tells Clemenza like, yeah, they got this. I know the place. There's a, uh, a bathroom there. 
with one of those old toilets with the box at the top with the string. So that's how toilets used to be before like the ones that we currently have. There used to be a box at the top with a pipe that went down into the actual toilet. And on the box, there was a string you pulled, and that's how you flushed the toilet. Obviously, technology has changed things because even the toilets we grew up on, they're getting way more advanced now. You have motion sensor toilets and things like that. So the Clemenza tapes a gun to the back of this place. Michael goes and sits down. McCluskey's eating. Salazzo's like, I'm going to talk to Mike in Italian if you don't mind. The captain's like, whatever, I'm just here for the veal. So he's like, you know, you know, I apologize, Mike. It wasn't business. I mean, it wasn't personal. It was business. I'm now the hunted. You know, tell me what we can do to fix this. And Mike is like, look, I just don't want any more attempts on my, my father's life. And he's like, what, you know, what assurances can I give you? I'm the one that's hunted now. And Mike asks for permission to go to the bathroom. And they're like, yeah. And, and you know, he got frisked when he got in the car with them. And then Salazzo grabs him. And, and McCluskey's like, I already frisked him. Don't worry about it. And Salazzo's like, hurry up. Mike goes in the bathroom, searches, gets the gun. It's taped to the back of the toilet. Mike comes out. Two shots apiece in the head to both of them. They drop down. Everybody else in the restaurant is like, what the hell? The handle's been taped, so there's no uh, no fingerprints. Mike drops the gun, runs, gets in a car. We don't see him again. He goes off to Italy. We don't see him for a while anyway. So the authorities are hot because a police captain got killed. A war breaks out between the five families. Vito fears for his family. Mike is hiding out in Sicily. He meets Apollonia. Fredo is sent to Las Vegas to learn the casino business. Um... Connie's husband, Carlos, beating up on her, and he's being paid off by one of the other five families to do it so they can set Sonny up. The first time, Sonny beats him up in the street. He's like, you touch my sister again, I'll kill you. Connie's pregnant. Carlo beats the shit out of her again for whatever reason. Now we're in this mode like, okay, what the fuck is going to happen? Of course, Sonny takes off on a tear. He goes after Carlo. He leaves the house. Connie calls the house crying. You know, Sonny's like motherfucker you hit my sister again i clearly told you you hit my sister again i'm gonna kill you sonny takes off tom's like send some guys after him they don't make it sonny gets trapped at the toll booth the toll booth guy drops the change sonny's like hurry up the toll booth guy shuts the window all of a sudden in the other toll booth and that one guys jump up from the bottom with fucking tommy guns and they lay into fucking sonny he gets out of his they spray his car up he gets out of the car they get him there and then as he's laying there dead one of the guys kicks him um michael meets apollonia they get married you know Kay has no idea where he is she's sending letters and stuff like that asking where he is she shows up to the family house where's michael tom says i can't tell you and if i accept that letter that would mean under a court in a court of law that i have knowledge of where he is this that and third it's like a really big deal so um it's not Don Altabelli. I cannot. Don Tomasino is who Michael is under his protection in Italy. And uh, Don Tomasino's like, it's not safe for you here. Word came back from, you know, the U.S. And he's like, Michael's like, whatever it is, it can't be that big of a deal. And he's like, your brother Santino, they killed him. And Michael's just like frozen. So they're planning to move him somewhere else. Um, two of his bodyguards, one is packing the car. Uh, one is drinking wine. He's like, hey, where's such and such? He's like, oh, he's packing the car. And he's like, where's Apollonia? He's like, oh, she's got a surprise for you. So his wife is going to show him that she's been learning to drive in her free time. 
He goes out, he sees his one bodyguard, puts something in the trunk of the car, look at him, and then run the other way. Apollonia's already in the car, and he's like, wait, 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 something's not right. And he's like, Apollonia, no. She starts the car, boom, a fucking car bomb goes off. And the bomb was meant for Michael. And I guess word it got back to one of the five families where Michael was, and that was their way of taking him out. Um, now, Don Vito wakes up from his bed. He's like, I've heard, you know, my wife is crying upstairs. Cars are coming and leaving. Constantly area of mine. Why don't you tell me what everyone else seems to know? And he's like, I was going to come wake you in a second. I didn't tell mama anything. He's like, but you had to have a drink first. And he's like, yes. And he's like, okay, you've had your drink. So tell me what's up. And he's like, Sonny's dead. They shot him. And the Don, you know, starts to weep. It's his oldest child. He didn't want this life for any of his kids, any of them. Um, he's devastated. He's realizing the Italians are now controlled by the now dominant Don of New York City. We'll get to that in a second. Vito attempts to end the, the feud. Um, he assures the heads of the other five families that he withdraws his position to their, you know, their opposition, his opposition to them getting involved in the heroin business. And he will forego avenging Sonny's murder only if they guarantee the safe return of Michael home from Italy. Um, Michael comes back, enters the family business, drops in on Kay while she's out with her class. Remember, she's a school teacher, and she's like, you know, how long have you been back? He's like, I don't know, like six months to a year or whatever. He's like, you know, my father's way of doing things is over. I'm in charge of the family business now. She's like, you sound so naive, and, you know, you're turning out like your father. And he's, he's like, oh, my father's no different than anybody else, you know, a businessman, a politician senator and she's like senators don't have men killed and then michael's like well how naive are you now kate which he's right like the u.s government votes to send us to war understand that they have to declare war for us to send troops i don't know if the senate votes on that or who votes on that but it does come from the inside and literally they send young men and women here in the u.s to their death daily when they vote to to declare war on someone so michael's 100 percent right and kate is pretty naive so, um, at this point, it's the early 50s. Michael and Kay are, are married. She's had two kids. Don Vito's getting on later in life. Um, Fredo's still out in Vegas. Sonny's gone. Michael takes over the family business. Um, he wants to change things. He wants to move the business to the family to Vegas and make them completely legitimate. He's expecting trouble due to this, so he insists that Tom Hagen go to Las Vegas, but he will not. He will no longer be consigliere. Don Vito is now going to be the consigliere, and Tom's like, why am I out? And he's like, because you're not a wartime consigliere. At the same time, he appoints Carlo to a very high position. He's going to be the point man in Vegas. Carlo's very happy. Connie's very happy, but really, this is all a roost. It's Michael setting Carlo up to feel like he's secure and safe, but in, in all actuality, He's going to have to answer for what happened to Santino. Um, it's still a battle with the other families in New York. They're the rivals, things are going down. The Corleone family is trying to get completely legitimate by moving to Vegas and changing things. Uh, Don Vito agrees. Hagen should have no part in what's going to happen. And he's again, like Michael said, you're not a wartime consigliere. It's going to get really rough and really sticky. Um. Michael then goes out to Vegas to try to buy out Mo Green's stake in the family casinos. Um, we know that the Don is upset with Fredo, but we don't know why. And this is where we find out Fredo has become somewhat of a 
ladies man and doing a lot of things that the Don would never do. The Don is very reserved. He's been married to Carmela his whole life well, since he was like 19 or something like that. And he believes in, you know, the relationship is just for the man and his wife and things like that. And a lot of the things Fredo was doing did not sit well with his father. Um, so he, Michael tells Mo Green, Hey, I'm here to buy you out. Mo Green's like, fuck you. There's no way. Like you're not buying me out. I buy you out. The Corleone family isn't strong anymore. I can make a deal with Barzini and keep my casino. You don't buy me out. Like I'm Mo Green. He literally says to him, I made my bones when you were banging cheerleaders. I've been in this thing for a lot longer than you. Michael is what he's telling him. So again, this gets very, very interesting and sticky. So now we're in this position and uh everybody's upset and michael's like look i'll leave in the morning think about a price because this is done you're out and uh michael returns home and the, he's also very upset that fredo is kind of taking mo green's side fredo's like wait wait tom you can talk to the don sort this out he's like no no, no. the don is semi-retired michael's in charge of the family anything you have to say you say to him michael says to him fredo you're my brother i love you but don't you ever ever take sides with anyone else against the family like we're at this point and fredo says to him mike you don't come to las vegas and talk to a guy like mo green like that fredo's 100 percent become a lackey that's another reason the don is not happy with him so it's 1955 uh the don is like schooling michael like letting him know like hey this is what's gonna go down somebody's gonna move against you and they're gonna send somebody you trust to make the deal whoever comes to you with the barzini deal is the traitor and he's like, I want you to have all the phone lines checked. And Michael's like, Pop, I did all that. Everything's done. Relax. I got this. And he's like, I never wanted this for you. Like, I wanted more for you. Like, Senator Corleone, uh, you know, Dr. Corleone, this, that, and the third. Michael's like, I'm not one of those peasant Avantes. I, I don't remember exactly what peasant Avante means. I'll have to look it up and get back to you guys on that. But, you know, Michael didn't want this life for himself either. But when you attacked his father, it's like it was necessary. Like, you killed you you tried to kill my dad you killed my brother now i have to step in to be the person for the family like there's a lot of things that went on in my family and i disagreed with but when the going got tough i had to step up it's like being one of the last men left in the family like okay here's what's gonna happen this is what we're gonna do from now on this is what how i want you guys to conduct conduct yourself and things like that it's not, obviously not the same thing it's not a criminal enterprise or anything like that but I had to make sure that the younger generation was going to be able to live their lives unscathed or anything like that. So I had to tell them, like, I don't want you guys getting involved in things like this and things of that nature. Unfortunately, there have been some people in my family who have been murdered as well. So I had to step in to let the younger generation know, like, we're not going to do things this way anymore. So Vito suffers a heart attack in his, his garden. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but in The Godfather 3, Michael dies in his garden as well due to a heart attack. And again, I'm not going to talk about The Godfather 3, so it's not like I'm spoiling anything from that episode because that episode won't happen. At the funeral, again, Vito told Michael before he passed, whoever comes to you with the Barzini meeting is the traitor. Now, here's where Barzini comes in. Barzini was the other Don that was controlling things, that was controlling the Talia family. And the only way that... The Don found this out is after he met with the five families after Sonny was killed after he as he's trying to bring Michael back to the United States of America. When they're in the meeting, the conflict was between the Tatalias and the Corleones because the Tatalias were back backing Salazzo and the Corleones were impeding on their business. 
Therefore, the conversation should have been between the Tatalias and the Corleones. Don Barzini spoke far too much. So on the ride home, Tom is like, when I meet the Tatalia family, should I insist that, you know, all the drug men have clean criminal records? And uh, Don Corleone is like, mention it. Don't insist. Barzini is a man who will know that, you know, without being told. And Hagen's like, Barzini, you mean Tatalia? He's like, Tatalia's a pimp. He could have never outfought Santino. But I didn't know until today that it was Barzini all along. Don Barzini was really pulling the strings behind the scene for the Tatalia family. They were into prostitution and things like that. So them fighting a war of this magnitude, they just didn't have the mental capacity to do so. Don Barzini was behind it the whole time. Barzini was the one that paid off Polly. He, you know, the Italian family initially paid Polly Gatto, but it was at the behest of Don Barzini. Don Barzini was the one who paid uh, Carlo to beat up on Connie to make Sonny jump out into the streets. Barzini was controlling it all with like, it's like the logo for the Godfather is like a hand holding a marionette, right? Like the strings of a, a dummy or whatever. That's basically Barzini. You know, it's meant to be overall that all these Dons are doing this, but it's Barzini, you know, in my opinion. It has to, it, this is a direct correlation to Don Barzini because he was controlling everything. Um, so at the Don's funeral, Tessio comes to him, Mike, can I have a word? He's like, you know, Barzini wants to have a sit down. I can arrange security on my territory. He's like, okay. And he goes back and sits next time and he's like, that's crazy. I always thought it would have been Clemenza. And Michael says to him, no, it's a smart move. Tessio was always smarter. So they go back to the house after the funeral. You know, Connie, actually the baptism. He's like, I'm going to meet with them after the baptism. I'm going to be godfather to Connie's baby. So Carlo and Connie have their baby. Michael's really, you know, Kay's excited that Michael has accepted this role. Kay and Connie get really closely. Michael's trying to make it look like everything is good from a family standpoint. You know, they all live on the compound, but Michael's got plans. He tells Kay and Connie, you guys have got to go ahead in Vegas. Me and Carlo have to stay here for business. Carlo's nervous at this point. He's like, Michael, you know, Connie's like, Michael, what? This is our first, you know, vacation. He's like, Carlo's like, Connie, stop. Mike, what do you want me to do? Michael, go back to the house, wait for my call. Carlos like, fine. At this point, Carlos kind of wising up like, something ain't right. So he's sitting there at the phone. He's sweating bullets. He's got his tie, un- you know, loosened, his shirt unbuttoned. Something's not right. At this time, around the town, again, straightening out, clearing all family business before leaving, Michael has the dons of all the other families killed. Mo Green is killed, shot in the eye, the Mo Green special, things like that. All of this is happening. Michael is closing out all family business before he moves to El- to Las Vegas. And he did it in a brilliant, brilliant manner. And um, he walks in the house, and Carlo is very, very nervous. And Michael, d- not going to miss words with you. You have to answer for Santino. And he's like, Mike, you got it all wrong on my children. I didn't do anything. He's like, come on now. You thought that little bullshit farce you played could fool the Corleone? He's like, I'm not going to kill you, Carlo. Your punishment is you're out of the family business. And he's like, I'm going to put you on this plane back out to Vegas. Only don't insult my intelligence. Now, who was it? 
Was it Barzini or Tatalian? Who paid you to set up my brother? And they give him a drink, and finally Carlo looks up with these puppy dog eyes, and he's like, it was Barzini. Again, Barzini was controlling everything against the Corleones from the back. And it was brilliant by Don Barzini. You have to give him his credit. He's like, okay. Carlo gets walked out of the house. He sits in the car. He gets in the front seat. Clemenza gets in the back seat. And he's like, hello, Carlo. And he's like, what? Puts the garop wire around his neck. This is the really, really thin like wire where they choke you to death. And Carlo kicks out the windshield of the car. They just drive around while Clemenza chokes him to death. Um, Tessio gets off the phone. He's like, all right, we're headed to Brooklyn. And then they're headed out to the cars. And Willie Chichi steps in. He's like, Tom, Sal, Mike's a little busy. He says to go ahead. He'll come in another car. And Tessio's like, you can't do that. It messes up all my arrangements. And at this point, everybody steps up to him. Everybody kind of clears away. And he's like, huh. Tessio understood that Michael had figured it out. And uh, Willie Chichi removes his pistol from inside his jacket. He's like, Tess, Sal, I'm going to need that. He's like, hey, Tom, can you tell Mike it was never personal? It was just business. And he's like, he understands that, you know, Sally, don't worry about it. And he's like, you know, Willie's like, excuse me, Sal, I'm going to need that gun up off you real quick. And uh, he says to Tom, you know, Tom, do you, th- you think you can get me off, you know, for old Tom's sake? He's like, I can't do it, Sally. If Tom had went to, to Mike like, hey, don't kill Tessio, he's basically family, Mike would have had Tom killed. And that's just the long and short of it. All family business had to be settled. And that included Tessio, unfortunately, even though he was one of the Don's oldest friends. At that point, he was branded a traitor because he was willing to work with Barzini to take Michael out so that he could have whatever territory was left over. And that's the end of Salvatore Tessio. And that's basically the end of the film as well. Um, Remember, Connie and Kay are in Vegas. Carlo never shows up. Connie comes back hysterical as they're packing up the house, screaming and crying. Michael, you bastard, you son of a bitch, you killed my husband, you never cared about me, blah, 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 blah. Michael's like, this is bullshit, she's hysterical. And, you know, Connie's like, you said, you know, this this is, you, you fucking monster, I can't believe you did this, how could you do this to me? And, you know, Kay's like, Michael, is it true? And, you know, don't ask me about my business, Kay. And she's like, is it true? And he's like, Kay, I told you, don't ever ask me about my business. And Michael, look me in my face and tell me if it's true. All right, this one time I'll allow you to ask me about my business. Is it true? Did you have your brother-in-law killed? No. And Kay walks out of the office, which used to be the, you know, Don Vito's old office. And Michael, you know, welcomes somebody at the door. And the door opens and somebody says, Don Corleone. And they kiss his ring. And the last shot you see is the door closing on Kay's face as she realizes that Michael A lied to her. And it be turned to a life of crime. And he was a lot worse than his father ever was because Don Vito had a heart. And it seems Michael would become pretty heartless in all these business dealings. And um, it is, um, again, it's one of the greatest films of all time. Like, point blank. And it is a hell of a ride through New York City, the 40s and the 50s. And um, again, it's one of my favorite films for a reason, and I didn't see it till I was in my 20s. And it's probably best that way because I wouldn't have understood it, you know, 
earlier on in life. I'd have been like, why is he doing this? And even the first couple of times, I'm like, why does the, how does the Don know that Barzini did this? And then the more I watched it, I was like, oh, Barzini spoke way too much at that meeting. If it was really between the Italians and the Corleones, they should have hashed out the problem. Don Barzini should have, no, should have nothing to say. That's when I figured out, I was like, okay, so this is why they're saying this. This all makes sense now. So, I don't know. Um, that's episode one. This is probably, you know, this had to be first because, again, it's a phenomenal film. And we're talking about, basically, America's fat infatuation with Costa Nostra. Costa Nostra, I'm sorry. And uh, this is, for a lot of people, this is probably where it started with the original Godfather. So, that's episode one. Stay tuned for episode two where we will cover the Godfather 2 and what happens to the Corleone family as they head west and things of that nature. And also, like I said, it's a prequel. So we'll find out a lot about uh, Vito Corleone as he grew up and um, where he came from in Sicily and things like that. It's very interesting. So as always, my name is Derek Lamont Jackson. Uh, you guys stay tuned for episodes two, three and four. Tell your friends, patreon.com slash the Derek Lamont experience. And also, I'm now streaming, so follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Derek Lamont Experience. It's been a pleasure, you guys. Peace out.